Hello there, Star Wars fam! Welcome to another episode of Jabba Jabber, playing exclusively on Utini Radio. I'm your host, David Wren, and I am joined by my best friend and co-host, Dennis the Phantom Menace. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 11, where we will be discussing the penultimate episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars, entitled Shattered. How crazy is it that we're already here? Dude, I still just can't believe it. Like, remember when we saw that trailer at Celebration and it was like a year away? I don't know, it just equal parts feels like yesterday and a million years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's been a long time, but we're finally here and we've got a lot to talk about. So why don't we just get started? Sounds good to me, buddy. We would like to thank you all for listening and invite you to sit back, relax, and get ready to experience the power of this fully armed and operational podcast. This is the way. You're my guest. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Commence primary ignition. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Jawa Jabber, where we will be talking all about episode number 11 of the Clone Wars season seven entitled Shattered. It's the second to last episode of this season, and it's part three of this cinematic movie type feel to this final arc. And man, we have so much to cover. I always feel like I'm saying that I always want to fit in as much as possible into an episode. But uh, let's start by just giving maybe an overall opinion of the episode and maybe giving it a one out of 10 if possible. So David, I'm really interested to know what your opinion of this episode was. 10 out of 10 easily. And I know we're going to get into this, but the way it ties into Revenge of the Sith, which is one of my favorite movies, it just blended seamlessly. Like I could see the movie playing in the background of this episode, you know, like 
especially the uh, conference scene that we're not going to talk about with a certain you-know-what Jedi that will remain nameless. And, like, I saw that scene in the movie, and then it would normally cut to another scene, and then, like, Ahsoka walks in. It's just, like, it was so seamless. And I am just really looking forward, and I'm sure it's on its way. But I am looking forward to one of these talented fans out there editing this all together, like, taking Revenge of the Sith and these last four episodes and just intertwining them. And it's going to be seamless and the music and it's it's going to be awesome. OK, so, well, let me let me make your day a little bit better. Someone's already on that. Oh, I'm sure that does not surprise me in the least. I think it's somebody who runs a prequel memes Reddit or something, but they are seamlessly tying in all four of these last episodes with Revenge of the Sith. And it's just one massive movie. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that does not surprise me at all. And put me on that list of who wants to see it. Yes, please. <laughs> well, in this episode, you know me, I always love the little Easter eggs, the references, you know, the, the things that folks might have missed if they weren't paying super close attention, or in my case, I guess, didn't do extra research to dig even deeper into these episodes. So <clears> I have <throat> a lot of that. <laughs> me, excuse me. Mm, mm. I don't I don't know anyone like that. But yes, hopefully some of our listeners are in that boat. Yes. Yeah, I'll have a lot of that throughout this episode. So that'll be cool. I am not at all surprised. The first thing I wanted us to get into and, you know, it could be a a lot more of a deeper conversation that maybe we get into later or maybe just now. But I thought that the title of the episode as Shattered had so many different meanings and multiple layers. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with you. Well, what did it feel like to you? Like if just from the outset, when you saw the words shattered, what did you think of after seeing the episode? I mean, when I first saw the title, I immediately thought of Order 66. It was the first thing I thought of. After the episode, my heart, (laughs) like how my heart is just shattered by this episode. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I actually that's another layer. I didn't even I mean, I obviously agree with you, but I don't even think about that. That yeah, that's for sure. For sure. That's what I'm here for. You're for the Easter eggs and I am for the emotional content. (laughs) So some of the things that I just thought after seeing the episode, of course, because before I didn't know where this was. I mean, I knew where this was going. We all knew where this was going. Right. But for me, I felt like Ahsoka's worldview was shattered. Mm the way that she saw the clones after everything that happens. I felt like it was, like you said, Order 66, the Jedi Order itself was also shattered. I felt the relationship between Ahsoka and the clones, like I mentioned there, how they were so close to each other. And they even, you know, they painted their own helmets and their masks to look like her. That that complete, that severing of that relationship. And even the people's faith in the Jedi Order, you know, from here on out, Many people believe the Jedi betrayed the Chancellor and already blamed them for starting the war like Trace in the prior episodes. So that's kind of what hit me first was like, it's all these things put together. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And especially the Jedi Order and Ahsoka and Palpatine's window. Don't forget about Palpatine's window is shattered. So yeah, that was shattered as well. And so that's kind of funny because when I was thinking about the prior episode, The Phantom Apprentice, we had a lot of windows shattering there. We had the one Maul jumped through or tried to jump through. We had the one where they're in the throne room. So, I mean, but it still works in this episode too, of course. And when we watch it as one, you're not going to remember the titles anyway. I think it's the Siege of Mandalore because there's part one through four. Correct. That would be the title, I suppose. Yes. So we start out this episode 
on Mandalore. So at the beginning of this episode, the clones are arresting Gar Saxon, and uh, Bo-Katan thinks the occupation on Mandalore is only going to be temporary. She is wrong. <laughs> After the siege of Mandalore, she becomes actually a regent in charge of the planet. But when the Empire takes over later, Gar Saxon becomes the one in charge because she wouldn't fall in line with the idea of what the Empire wanted Mandalore to look like as being ruled. And that's when we see Gar Saxon in Rebels when he's in charge and he has like the white Mando armor on because he's a part of the Empire. Now, quick question. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get my nerd cred revoked for this. So the purge that they talk about in The Mandalorian is not the Siege of Mandalore, right? It is not. Is that when the Empire takes over Mandalore? I believe that is the purge. That's when we have the tie-in with Rebels and Sabine making that machine. And Okay, yeah. yep, yep. All right, okay, gotcha. I was kind of, for a little while, I was thinking they were the same thing. Like, when I first watched The Mandalorian, I was thinking, oh, this is what we're going to get in The Clone Wars. And then, yeah, okay. Right, and so then, I mean, I'm going to be jumping around here. We always do, and that's fine. But mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned at the beginning that we're not going to talk about a certain scene, but we are. <laughs> Oh, I know we are. I just meant in that second we weren't talking about it. <laughs> we don't want to talk about a specific Jedi that we don't like, but we will. Win who? <laughs> Win <to> who? <laughs> Which, full disclosure, I was never a huge fan of his to begin with. Let's just put it out there. No, neither was I. Never was. I was very upset, even all the way back in 20, 2005. Is that even how you say it? In the year 2005, when he was on the poster for Revenge of the Sith. I mean, I know they just did that for Samuel L. Jackson and like, you know, sure, it's great. But like, he didn't deserve to be on the poster. I thought that back then. After this episode, I really think that. But anyway. So yeah, the hologram meeting around that hollow table is what I like to call it. Yeah. We actually see that, of course, in Revenge of the Sith, right? Yes, we do. What's really cool, and I, I found it fascinating how they intertwine this with the animated series here and then the film, is that when Rex leaves that meeting to go talk to Ahsoka, Ahsoka's on the bridge, and Rex comes out, and Ahsoka's thinking. And when so when Rex leaves that meeting, Anakin's still there in attendance. Mm -hmm. But there's a moment when in the film when Commander Cody appears, that's right when Commander Rex leaves and goes to speak to Ahsoka. And this is when Mace Windu sends Anakin away to spy on the Chancellor, where, you know, he finds out the Chancellor is the Sith Lord they've been looking for. But and it's just so interesting to me how they they frame this, because it's all happening at the same time. Well, and that's what I was saying in the beginning, like how this entire time I could just picture where this is in the context of the movie, which is amazing. Yeah, like, it's just it's just so well done. And I mean, Dave Filoni, like, bow down. I just <laughs> I. Yeah, he's just, ugh. So I think throughout all these episodes, but particularly this last arc, there were certain cues that were given to us as the audience where we could fit that into the timeline of Revenge of the Sith. And I like that they did that. Oh, I think it's fantastic that they did that. To me, who we know this, this has not been my favorite Star Wars property. It just hasn't. It really brought me into it. It really made me that much more invested that it was happening at the same time as one of my favorite films. I think it's my, you know, and these things switch around all the time, but I think right now, after watching it again on May the 4th, I think it's my second favorite Star Wars film. Revenge of the Sith, really? Yeah. I'm trying to think of my current lineup of what my favorites are. See, I teeter two and three. 
Empire is still number one because, you know, we're Star Wars fans and that's just everyone's favorite Star Wars movie. Because it's Empire. Because it's Empire and it's we're a couple weeks from the 40th anniversary and it is still a masterpiece. There is very, 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 very few things I would change about that movie. And no, one of them is not that time warp thing that you sent me that podcast about. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That was just I, I was I almost crashed my car. So, you know, we are rapidly approaching the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, which is why I didn't watch it on Force Friday, because I'm going to watch it on the anniversary. Force Friday. Or why I'm not going to watch it on May the 4th. Right. Because time loop. Um, So I teeter number two and three in my top Star Wars between episode three and The Last Jedi. Same. Yeah, they. I'm not surprised. They are the ones that teeter for me. And now it's funny because we all know my two favorite characters are Anakin Skywalker and Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo, right? Right. What movie is my number one and neither of them are in it? Empire. Right? It's kind of funny. Now I know there's the argument, well, Darth Vader's in it and Darth Vader turns into Anakin. But no, they're two different people. I'm sorry. I fully wholeheartedly believe that. And Anakin Skywalker does not make his appearance until Return of the Jedi. And no, I am not talking about the last couple of minutes. That is my own theory that we will talk about on another episode when we dissect Return of the Jedi. So yeah, so especially after my May 4th rewatch, it teeters. I just, I, I, I go between, and Revenge of the Sith is older, and I've watched it a lot more times than The Last Jedi, so I want to say that's number two. But I say that until I watch The Last Jedi, and then I love that one so much. So yeah, like, it just, it teeters. Right. Yeah, it's up there. It's one of my I just I love everything about it, especially I think I've mentioned this before. The scene right before Mace Windu and everybody go into the Chancellor. Okay, like that quiet scene with Anakin and Padme and they're looking out in the distance and it's that haunting music. Right. Mm -hmm. From that scene till the end of the movie, it is perfect Star Wars. I would not change one little thing about that movie from that moment until the end of the movie. Okay, so since you bring that up, I'm going to bring it up so I don't forget it later. Okay. The scene where it's Padme's ruminations, the track for that. Yeah. So that scene where Anakin's looking out from the Jedi Temple and she's looking out from her apartment and that haunting music you talked about, I believe... And if I'm incorrect about this, that's fine. We'll figure it out figure it out later when maybe they like release the cut where they're putting it all together. But I think that's the same moment when Rex and Ahsoka are looking out in hyperspace on the bridge of the Star Destroyer. Mm. Because the music it they played be. there was very similar. I thought that and how they were silent. And yeah, I did kind of, it's funny you say that. I, I did. And it's weird because like we say music and John Williams, forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, but like there wasn't much going on music wise in that scene. It's like a couple notes and they just like they play very long. And but like it's just it gives this haunting, foreboding feeling of like what's to come. And it's. But yeah, you know, I didn't I did kind of think of that. And now that you've mentioned it, yeah, I I think you're I think you're right on there. I think that would be around the same moment. Right. So back to that scene with the hollow table, we were talking about how that happens in Revenge of the Sith and how it seamlessly like kind of fits together with this episode. And that scene, you know, is repeated verbatim with the added part. Because Yoda says, great care we must take. After Mace Windu says, I feel there's a plot to destroy the Jedi. In Revenge of the Sith, it actually just wipes to the next screen. Whereas here, it continues, 
right? So yeah. we see Yoda at that point, Ahsoka walks into the meeting and Mace turns around. You know, we don't see that in the film because Ahsoka was never in the film originally. But the connections and how well that was done, they were just beautiful. I loved how that was like, I felt like I was seeing a continuation of Revenge of the Sith, not just like a part of it. Yeah, it was masterful. It really shows from a creative standpoint how well Dave Filoni knows Star Wars. Mm -hmm. It blew my mind. And then a minute later, blew my mind for a whole nother reason. So as Ahsoka walks in, she wants to warn Anakin about Maul's vision, everything that she heard from Maul about that he's being groomed to be Palpatine's, you know, new apprentice. And he's about to be fully tempted to the dark side, of course, by Sidious. I feel like if only Anakin were there a minute longer, if Mace hadn't sent him to the Chancellor, who knows what might have changed the course of events. If Ahsoka spoke to Anakin and said, you know, listen, he's using you. And then going in with that kind of a mindset, Anakin might have not completely turned knowing that he's being manipulated. There are so many what ifs or if this had just happened or like you said, if Anakin had been there for an extra minute, if Wind Who didn't send Anakin off to the chant like, oh, it's, just, it's heartbreaking. I think it shows the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker, that there were so many moving pieces that he almost couldn't help it. Like it like it wasn't really his fault that he turned to the dark side. Right. I know. I know it sounds kind of strange, but I feel like going even deeper on that, the cosmic force orchestrating all this happened in the way it was supposed to. You know, it's kind of like it was it was done because it was part of destiny. There was a reason he wasn't there at that meeting. There was a reason he became Darth Vader. There was a reason he was redeemed. All of that is something that I feel like the force orchestrated. And to some, I feel like they would feel that's kind of in a way evil or that's in a way kind of manipulative. But in the way that we see the force, in, in Star Wars in general, it's it's just more of those connections that I feel that if this happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And because something happened in this spot, in this moment in time, why the next following chain of events like a domino effect happened, like it was supposed to happen the way that we saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's deep, but it's in like the best way possible. It just adds a whole nother layer to these movies that, you know, when people are like, oh, that's just a movie. It's like, no, it's not. Mm. This is why people like us make podcasts and discuss it with other fans. And it's just there's so many layers and it's just, ugh, I just love it. So the Jedi masters who are around that table, they may have learned this new information from Ahsoka that she had gotten from all if Mace wasn't being an asshole. And it's another example to me of the Jedi's hubris, their pride, looking down on others outside of the order because of what Mace Windu says to Ahsoka. Yeah, and it's not like, this is going to sound bad. Like, if Rex had come in and said that, I feel like almost Mace's reaction would be justified. Like, you're just a clone. But, like, I mean, this is Ahsoka. Yes, she's not a Jedi anymore, but, like, think of the journey she had been on. The Like, you know, she was Anakin's Padawan. She, like, she was one of them. And I'm not just saying this as a fan of Ahsoka. Like, it just felt so degrading. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, it totally just completely changed my outlook on Mace Windu. It really did. That one little blip of a scene. I just, oh, it's still, it's making me angry just thinking about it. Well, okay, so I, I feel like had Ahsoka not been betrayed and disillusioned by the Jedi Order, she may have had that opportunity to talk to Anakin before his meeting with the Chancellor. You know, we already knew this, but, you know, as we've already mentioned before, it even further solidified to me how much of a <coughs> Mace Windu is. Just yeah. the Jedi Council would have been, 
I don't know. It would have been better off without him on it. And Ahsoka, I, I mentioned to you, I think I sent you something that she's twice the Jedi he would ever be. Absolutely. He has just been a bit of like an unlikable prick this whole time. But this episode, when he calls Ahsoka basically just a citizen and not privy to the information that they think the dark side of the force surrounds the chancellor, you know, he says, I'm sorry, citizen, these matters are for the council to discuss. He's just being rude. And I feel like he's this he's the same way in the Dark Disciple novel, which is a part of the Clone Wars, which they kind of included certain aspects of it. He's just Mm. been such a huge asshole during this whole time. He's just elevated himself to another level of master of the assholes, in my opinion. I don't know. Thinking he's so high and mighty, you know, I'm going to say it. He's the only Jedi that I didn't care about when he died. Yeah. Like, I never felt that, like, I'm glad Anakin cut his arm off. Whatever. I did. I, I did the same thing 15 years ago or whenever it premiered. I had a sick satisfaction that Anakin was the one that cut his arm off. I don't know what it was. I just, I loved that. I told you, I didn't like Mace Windu to begin with. And the fact that, Anna, you know, Anakin, my favorite character, kind of did him in. I was like, all right. And especially after this. See, Anakin knew. Anakin could feel through the force that Mace <laughs> was an addicted to Ahsoka. There's another layer. There you go. That's why he cut off his arm. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's one way to look at it, right? A certain point of view. Exactly. I'm just, okay, I'm just wondering how many Jedi... Windu has to chase out of the order before he starts to wonder if he might be the problem, not them. Have you ever worked in retail? No. Okay. When someone is in a position of power, whether it be on the Jedi Council or a certain manager at a grocery store, you get that power, however deserved it is, it's yours. You're all of a sudden, you're high and mighty. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to do your job. It doesn't matter if you're an asshole. It doesn't matter how many Padawans you kick to the curb when if you had just listened to her, then this whole crisis could have been averted. Mm. It doesn't matter. They take their power and they, they get a big head. That's all it is. And that big bald head of Mace Windu's was too big. Yoda, I feel in this scene, is the only one that understands Ahsoka. I feel like she, he knows she never left them deep down in her heart. Like, I think Yoda sees maybe his mistake at this point in time or is starting to in giving Windu kind of the reins of the Jedi Order. And it was just another contributory factor in its downfall. That moment with Yoda was very sweet. I 100% agree. The way the camera went right to Yoda and there was just a brief, it was like half a second of animation. But the way he looked at Mace Windu He immediately understood, and I agree with you, he went to Ahsoka's side. He realized their mistake with letting Ahsoka go. Now, I don't think he necessarily used the force to read what Ahsoka had in her mind, you know, like to find out about Anakin and all that stuff. That would have been a little more useful, but, you know, water under the bridge. But yeah, no, there was a total moment of recognition by Yoda, and that to me was just it was great i just i loved it i'm tearing up right now it was wonderful i uh, it was it was great it was a great character moment and that's what these last episodes have really been doing they've been focusing on like not just the action and not just making it into revenge of the sith like they've been really focusing on the characters and that is where this series the clone wars has its strengths when it focuses on the characters I thought it was really an interesting moment when Mace Windu talks to Ahsoka before he calls her just a citizen. And he says that, you know, I heard your mission was a success to capture Maul. And she, you know, basically agrees that, yeah, it was. 
but then she said she did her duty as a citizen. And then Yoda asks her, not as a Jedi. And she says, not yet. I It made me stop and think here because I was thinking, is she considering coming back to the Order after, you know, getting her lightsabers back, modified by Anakin, that she's she's helping in some way in this war? Um, but it definitely made me think about, like, she's not going to be considered a Jedi by her own standards later on but she does kind of come back had the events not transpired that we're going to talk about i was thinking like maybe she would still be helpful and useful to the jedi council or at least to some jedi masters that were on the same wavelength as her like yoda i feel like when he, when he says at the end may the force be with you padawan he's recognizing her as a part of their close-knit family she's not just a citizen she's not just a person that they're using i feel like yoda feels sad that she had left the order and wishes that she had stayed but then at the same time knowing and understanding why she needed to leave and why it was unfair how they treated her yeah i agree with you on that i when yoda said padawan i was like okay talk about letting the past die you know they've moved on like everything that happened happened but yeah it was it was it was a great moment and it just made me love yoda that much more absolutely so the next scenes we start seeing is where they have Maul in this casket looking thing. I like to call the chamber Old Republic Carbonite personally. All right. Well, see, I was going with Carbonite because like the outside of it definitely looks like the Carbonite. Well, right. He's not in carbon freeze, but it sure did remind us of that. Absolutely. So first, Ahsoka is speaking to Bo-Katan, and she calls that casket that they're holding Maul in like impressive. She says the word impressive. It's Another very common word used in all the Clone Wars series by a lot of different characters, but I, I think most likely it's an homage to Darth Vader saying that in Empire Strikes Back. Yes, agreed. And so they've contained Maul in this chamber, this casket, kind of looks like a coffin or a piece of carbonite, but it was built to hold Jedi or wielders of the Force. I believe I wrote down Bo-Katan's full quote. She said, a relic of a bygone era when Mandalorians had reason to imprison you Force-wielding maniacs. This reminded me a lot of hundreds of thousands of years ago. They had that, they kind of had that animatic, not an animatic, but they kind of had a, like a story. It was very Deathly Hallows, Harry Potter-esque about hundreds of thousands of years ago, the Mandalorians were enemies of the Jedi. And we learned that in the Clone Wars when we were introduced to the Darksaber, but also in the Mandalorian TV show, the Armorer was talking about how the Jedi were a, a group of sorcerers that they used to fight with. If you look really closely, I mean, really closely at this Old Republic Carbonite, there's a carving of a Mandalorian wielding a sword, and it looks an awful lot like the Darksaber. Hmm. Okay. I did I did not notice that, no. Yeah, and so if this is the Darksaber, it could very well be the legendary Mandalorian Jedi, whose name was Terra Vizsla. The container, you know, it even looks like ancient tech, you know, with the Mandalorian helmet carved on the front, and then the erratic red lines on the inside that were weakening Maul in some, some way. They reminded me of the design of the, the pyramidal Sith temple we see on Malachor in Rebels' Twilight of the Apprentice. Mm. That episode also reintroduced Maul and reunited Anakin and Ahsoka, or Anakin at that point was Vader. Yes, it did. You're right. Another parallel. And I'm pretty sure both of them were written by Dave Filoni. They absolutely were. Yeah. But of course, the major connection we have to Rebels here is we actually see Ursa Ren with her helmet off. Yes. 
in the last couple episodes when she was running around with Trace and Rafa, we saw the Mandalorians and we th said, okay, that's Bo-Katan, that's Ursa Ren, and then an unnamed one, which may or may not be the armorer, but she has her helmet off here. So we actually get to see her when she's walking with this levitating carbonite looking chamber. I want one. To sleep in? Sure. Why not? That would be fun. Can we just take a moment, and I know we talk about this all the time, and I just need to mention it again, is the incredible haunting music in this entire episode. Kevin Kiner. It had that episode three feel, like, and I don't know if that's because it's my favorite score out of all 11 Star Wars movies, nine of them by John Williams. The whole score of Revenge of the Sith has that forebodingness to it, and like that, like, it's going to go to shit any second, and like, like, and that haunting quality, and I just, ugh. Kevin's music in this episode particularly even though I swear there are a couple moments and we'll get to them. It's music right out of Revenge of the Sith. And I know because I've watched Revenge of the Sith 18,227 times. The music is directly, it's edited a little bit. Like it's not like the full music, but like it's clips of it and oh, I just love it. But yeah, no, like Kevin just did such an amazing job. I don't even think matching is the right word, but bringing his music into the same epicness of John Williams's episode three score, and he knocked it out of the park, and we have said this a million times, but he is a true talent. Give him a movie, mm -hmm. like, please. Right, I agree. Like, we were talking about how this music to me was multiple things. It was eerie, it was suspenseful, and it was tense. It gave me, and I'm sure it gave you, a sense of the dread that we all know is coming and going to happen. Absolutely, yes. Like, that's what made me so tensed up and stressed out. And even though we kind of already know what's going to happen, it didn't, for me, seem like a cheap shot. Like, okay, this is just, they're just trying to tug at our emotions. Like, it worked well. It worked insanely well. And we didn't really know what was happening. I mean, we knew what happens in the film. Like, we know what happens with Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme. We didn't know what was going on with us. Like, we had no idea. Well, yeah, you're right. I just feel like, you know what would have been, and again, I'm not saying like this, you know, it should have been this way. No, I absolutely love these last episodes, but you know what would have made it even more gut-wrenching and difficult to watch than it already was? If we as an audience, as fans, went into watching this episode and the next one, not knowing at all what would happen to Rex, to Ahsoka, to Maul, imagine how crazy it would be or would have been if Rebels didn't exist. Mm. If we thought these scenes were the last of us seeing Ahsoka, thinking she's going to die because she doesn't show up in episode three. But, you know, but we're going to see it and we're going to see how right now. Like when, like when Ahsoka Tano shakes hands with Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan says, goodbye, Ahsoka Tano. Like, I knew, I had to keep telling myself she's not going to die because we know she's not going to die. But had we not known that she was going to survive all this at some point, somehow, I feel like that would have been, I don't know, even more, I don't even have the word to say. Well, and like we said, yeah, it's like that cosmic force playing with Anakin and Ahsoka and they keep missing each other. They canceled the Clone Wars. So we got Rebels, and I told you, like, my theory is that Dave Filoni did a solid first season, and when they gave him reins to do season two, he's like, all right, time for Clone Wars 2.0. I'm bringing in Ahsoka, I'm bringing in Rex, I'm bringing in my friends, and we're going to tell the story that we didn't get to tell. And then years later, it's like, oh, hey, you can go back and do the Clone Wars. And he's like, okay, well, we're going to fill in the blanks then. But 
you know, I think he tried to give us those answers in Rebels because this was not like they mentioned this at Celebration a hundred times. This was not supposed to happen. But I'm so glad that it did. Oh, me too, dude. Like we were net, but like, you know, Clone Wars was dead and buried. Like we, we were not supposed to get more content outside of comic books and like novels. And the fact that we even got these 12 episodes is just yet another amazing thing about Star Wars. I'm just, I'm so happy that we are, even how difficult this episode and the next episode will be to watch, I'm glad that we even had the opportunity. Like, we're fortunate that they brought this back at the request of the fans, and I, I even believe Dave Filoni wanted to finish the story the right way. Oh, he always did, yeah. He he mentioned that during Rebels, I remember. Mm -hmm. Like, because I, I remember an interview when it was around the middle of season two of Rebels and they were talking, you know, like they're like, oh, how great is it, you know, to bring Ahsoka back? And, yada, yada. and he's like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's reuniting with old friends. But like, I still really wish we could go back and, you know, like I, I really wish the Clone Wars hadn't been canceled the way it was. You know what I mean? Like he was always mentioning how he wished he could have finished the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. The thing that gets me in some of his interviews, he was talking like, yes, this was the final arc that they were always going to do. And it's beautiful. But like he was thinking about season eight, season nine. Like, how long was it going to go on? Well, according to a lot of the unfinished stories that George Lucas had, along with Dave Filoni, it could have gone for multiple more seasons. I think there were probably over, if I'm not mistaken, over 15 more episodes or even more like five or six more arcs that they could have included like there was one particularly with the Bad Batch that was on Kashyyyk and they were fighting the droids there. Okay, wow. There were multiple ones that that were not used and then they were turned into, like you said, comic books or the novels and things of that nature. Like they didn't use all of Sons of Dathomir, they picked certain parts. Right, yeah. But we were talking about this earlier and finally got to this point where the animation for Maul when he's inside and we're kind of looking out like his, his perspective when he's in that casket looking thing, the breathing and the fog on the window it was absolutely incredible to me just the way that they did that because i felt like it's very eerie the way that he's watching ahsoka and rex talk but he knows he can't do anything about it so he's just calmly sitting there waiting for whatever happens next it was awesome and like it gave me that and i know i'm taking this right from online but like it gave me that whole silence of the lambs thing oh absolutely yeah it just it was, it was creepy it was and darth maul's already creepy to begin with so there we go that could be my halloween costume this year <laughs> Darth Maul in the kryptonite Mandalorian thing. Well, see, I feel like I agree that it was very Silence of the Lambs-esque, that feel there because of the, the mask on his face and then he was all tied up. It was just interesting to me how they made a parallel, but they also made it more like Hannibal Lecter is a psychopathic murderer and Maul in some ways is similar but also different in that we also feel bad for him in certain circumstances where we don't feel that way with Hannibal Lecter. Well, don't go too far. There's a whole section of that fan base that feels bad for Hannibal Lecter. I suppose. Uh, no, do not suppose. it. They exist. Trust me. No, I mean, I suppose they could actually see it that way. I don't, but right. I feel like we have a better... Dude, they made that TV show. There was a whole TV show about a young Hannibal Lecter. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it was on for like four seasons or something like that. And I think it was NBC, but like it was all about how Hannibal Lecter became Hannibal Lecter. And like, apparently it was creepy, but it really did the whole turning the villain into a human thing that is the new thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I definitely got those vibes from him and from them using that. I'm sure they kind of played around with it and they said, yeah, let's throw that in there. That's a good idea. 
idea. Well, and yeah, like on the subject, look at Darth Vader. What is the prequel trilogy all about? Showing where Darth Vader came from, you know? Because in the original movies, he especially like the first two, he was just a homicidal maniac. Well, see here, you're right. The breathing is vaguely reminiscent of Vader's breathing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, and it's appropriate because he's trapped in a large breathing machine and in a way, so is Anakin. Oh yeah, that whole suit. It's still funny. I I mean, I guess it's not funny. People don't realize, and especially like general public and stuff, like they don't realize that that's not necessarily his bad guy suit. It's just, that's how he lives. Like that's how he breathes. Right. The breathing is not done for, you know, like the... Like that's not for an intimidation thing. It's because he's barely alive. Well, yeah, I mean, it's for us as the audience. And I'm sure like when he first made it in 77, he did it, you know, because I don't I mean, I know he had notes and I know he had ideas, but I don't know if he had all of those details quite yet. I think that you're right that it's not supposed to mean that from his perspective. But of course, for the audience, that was always a, a focal point for especially when I was a child and when we were kids that the menacing breathing of Darth Vader, we didn't quite understand his whole backstory. So it was terrifying. It was supposed to be scary looking. His whole mask is supposed to look like a skull or like death or uh, same with the stormtroopers. But you're right in that it is kind of in this case, multiple layers in that. Yes, he's breathing that way because he's just breathing as he normally would, except that it's enhanced because of him being more machine than man. So you're absolutely correct. But I think that's also part of the reason why we associate Vader's breathing with evil, with with menacing, with some sort of, you know, you just don't feel comfortable. And that's kind of what a lot of the rebels felt like, you know, during the Rogue One hallway scene and all that. It's that aspect that we dive into that's very horror-like, but like they connected it here with Hannibal Lecter and Maul. It's one of those those things about Star Wars that can have multiple meanings depending on what generation you're in, what age you are, and how you seem to view it. Exactly. It's all about your point of view. Have you seen the cross sections of his costume and like, you know, like the little pee valve and how he pees and stuff like it? Like they really went into detail and it's hilarious and I love it. Is that canon? I don't think it's canon. It was a book somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it was like because, you know, all the cross section books are like the X-Wings and the sand crawlers and stuff like that. But like, I swear to God, I don't know if it was online or I don't think it was in my encyclopedia, but it was this complete cross. And, and it said like, you know, oh, this is a breathing tube. This is a breathing tube. And it like it had his chest plate and like what button did what it showed like where he goes to the bathroom. And it's like, you know, it's all this stuff like who the hell came up with this? But like. Like the fact that someone took the time to come up with this canon or not, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it just it was one of those. I don't know. Like, why am I thinking about Darth Vader going to the bathroom? Like, it's not something I think about during these movies. But now that I know that it's there, like, sure. OK, great. I choose not to see that in the movies. Well, no, I don't either. I'm just, you know, this was like endless scrolling of internetness, And I saw it. So the next scene we see is actually when Ahsoka and Rex walk onto the bridge of the Star Destroyer that they're on and all the the clones are saluting her that are down in the lower part. And so they don't there's no word spoken at all. It's just they're saluting her and she's walking by and then they get to the window and then it goes into light speed. But before it goes into light speed, you know how when the Millennium Falcon goes into light speed in A New Hope or an Empire or even especially in Solo, actually, it's a feeling of exhilaration. You're going on this great fun adventure yeah and you have these streams of matter going by you 
in Lightspeed. But this one seemed very different to me. And I mm-hmm. think obviously this was done on purpose because it's not something fun that they're going to do. And for us as the audience, knowing what's coming up, like we're just waiting for that moment. I feel like this was a, a really nice parallel to Palpatine and Vader doing the same exact thing at the end of Revenge of the Sith while they're looking out at the construction of the first Death Star. They're even in the same kind of height. You know, Rex is taller than Ahsoka and things like that. And I wouldn't say I'm paralleling the characters, but that specific shot. Mm, yeah, I gotcha. And yeah, it's funny. I didn't think of that. The whole how, yeah, hyperspace usually it's leading to the adventure and whatever. But you're you're right. It totally didn't feel that way this time. No, it, it had that forebodingness. And yeah, it was just sad. Well, she's standing there, right? And she's thinking and she's quiet. And then Rex, you know, asks her something on your mind. And so they have this heart to heart where Ahsoka says we were trained to be keepers of the peace, not soldiers. And I don't know. I've heard that line before. You know, Mace Windu said it. He said that same thing in Revenge of the Sith. But the funny thing is, like, just a day or two after decapitating Jango Fett, he says that. Mm. And it's like, really? You're keepers of the peace, not soldiers? You sure are acting like a soldier. That's because he's in power and he doesn't right. care about the rules anymore because he doesn't have to follow them because he has already achieved his power. But this line, you know, we were trained to be keepers of the peace, not soldiers. It made me really, really think about real life, real world applications. It made me think a lot deeper of just keeping the peace always require force. Does it require military action or intervention? Or when it comes to those real world applications, like to maintain peace, does that require that kind of aggressive negotiate? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot more like I was kind of trying to think about how Ahsoka was thinking because she says she's been trained her whole life. That's all she knew was fighting as a Padawan. And so now she's starting to realize, especially with her interactions with Trace and Rafa, there's a lot more to this than she knew while she was Padawan or an apprentice with Anakin and just going on these I mean they literally took kids who were super young like in the Master and Apprentice novel we had a different way of how they chose their Padawans and at this point in the timeline we have kids that are brought to the Jedi Temple and then they're shipped out on cargo ships to these to battles and they just jump right in the fight and like the first time we see Ahsoka she's like 12 or something and she's in this huge battle and it, it just makes me think about like how horrible that is like if that was something that was happening like right now in the US or something ridiculous I know it's not but I feel like paralleling that that's all she's known her entire life and then Rex's dialogue is the same thing about war and duty and what it's like to be a clone and it shows his maturity and I think how his character has grown you know he says without the war us clones wouldn't even exist you know he started off a blind loyal soldier but over the years like when he met a uh, a clone deserter who was living a peaceful life as a farmer he's become more of a free thinker this ability I think for him to deviate from orders during the battles it might have also been maybe a byproduct of serving under Anakin, who was also, you know, not known for following the rules. I would have to agree with you on that. Yes. That's definitely an Anakin trait. Because look at the difference between Commander Cody and Obi-Wan and Anakin and Rex, like the way that they interact with each other, the way that they have this relationship, like, of course, it's close with Cody and Obi-Wan, but it's very different. It's not the more, you know, roll with the punches, do what you need to do in the situation, even if it means breaking the rules. It's very different. 
yeah, look at the first episode in this arc mm. when they're on the San Francisco bridge. <laughs> like that shows the difference between Cody and Rex, I think, you know, and I think you're right. I think it has to deal with because Rex has been with Anakin a lot and Cody's been with Obi-Wan. Mm. If you don't mind, um, I just want to read this because there's so much packed into this scene where they're talking the dialogue between Ahsoka and Rex. And if you don't mind, I want to read it real quick. Yeah, go. So Rex says something on your mind. And Ahsoka says, as a Jedi, we were trained to be keepers of the peace and not soldiers. But all I've been since I was a Padawan is a soldier. And Captain Rex says, I've known no, no other way. It gives us clones all a mixed feeling about the war. Many people wish it never happened, but without it, we clones wouldn't exist. And then Ahsoka finally says, well, then perhaps some good has come from all of it. The Republic couldn't have asked for better soldiers, nor I a better friend. And yeah. I need, I need I know, a dude, I'm, I'm feeling the same way. I don't, yeah. It's a lot. Because she says this, right? And I mean, we know what's going to happen soon. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> part. And it's like, you know, she, you know, they salute each other and it was, it was touching and it was tear inducing. Like it is right now, even thinking about it mm-hmm. as you know, and I feel like when Wolf, from the wolf pack, you know, Commander Wolf says to Plo Koon in one of the episodes, we're just clones, we're meant to be expendable. And then he says, not to me. Yeah. You know, you add the music in there and the swell. And again, it's it's incredible what music does to us. Right. And to our emotions. It stays with us long after we've seen something. And then just hearing that music again brings up those images yeah. all over again. It just comes all flooding back. Did you see that picture of they took that scene with Rex saluting Ahsoka? And um, I guess it's a picture of a convention. I don't know if it's celebration or not, but it's D. Bradley Baker saluting Ashley Eckstein. And it's- I do. I have it saved on my uh, phone. Of course you do. I'm not surprised. So do I. But yeah, it oh, it's just so good. I love it. And so, so the next thing that happens is both Ahsoka, well, first, sorry, Rex um, says he's got a call and uh, like a hollow call. And he asks Ahsoka if she wants to come see, you know, maybe there's good news about Obi-Wan or, you know, he's going after Grievous. And Ahsoka just says, no, you go. I'm sure it's only good news. And I'm like, no, this is where it's going to happen. I was just going to ask, did you know that that's where it was going to happen? I'm so dumb. I didn't. I was like, oh, it can't be now. Like, you know, maybe maybe it's going to be Anakin. Like, maybe they will get their one last talk with Anakin before whatever. And then Mm. it's like, no, it's Sidious. And I'm like, oh, I literally I was like, me. Here it is. And my thought was, it's only episode three. We have a whole nother episode. Mm -hmm. I was 99% sure that's what it was. And that's why I was like, this is the last time she's going to see him before something happens. And again, the what if, what if she went with him? Right. And what if she saw this? And I don't know. So I I feel like when he, when he's walking away, he kind of walks away into the shadows and then she's standing there and she turns around and then we have both Ahsoka and Maul sense what's happening. What's beginning to happen. Yeah. His eyes open. Mm -hmm. That was such a good shot. And that we got that dubbing over of audio from revenge of the Sith. Oh, well, can, can I, can I mention my favorite part? Yeah, sure. Okay. I loved 
they did this perfectly, okay? Because they used the dialogue from Revenge of the Sith. And it's not second for second, it's edited. Because again, I've seen it 18,227 times, so I can repeat it at length. But the fact that they had, like, they didn't re-record it. It was Ian McDermott. It was Hayden Christensen. Like, it was that scene, right? And then I thought this was brilliant, okay? That they didn't replace the dialogue. They had Hayden Christensen in it. And yes, it's taken right from the movie. I don't care. It's fantastic. And then afterwards, they had Matt Lanter say, what have I done? I don't know if you noticed the difference. I noticed the difference because I'm Mr. Anakin. Like I I noticed immediately first showing. It's not something I had to watch again. I was like, oh my God, that was Matt. And I just thought it was really cool how they had the movie dialogue. I need him! Then it went to Matt to bring it back into Clone Wars for the what have I done? And like, it's an actor thing, but like he didn't try and just mimic Hayden's playing of it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he did it his own way for his own character. And it was just brilliant. I just it was it was such a little I mean, what have I done is the line. It's four words. And it just it was awesome. I just I, I, I loved it. Again, I can't wait for the super cut of this all together because it's going to blend seamlessly. I I don't know why I was not expecting I knew they were going to do Order 66. I knew I had a feeling that Ahsoka would kind of feel that moment when Hayden when Hayden when when Anakin cuts off Mace Windu's arm and the power thing, you know, like I had a feeling like because she's very strong in the force that she would kind of feel that disturbance in the force like Yoda does in the movie. Like he feels when that happens. So like I had a feeling that Ahsoka would, too. But the fact that they actually used the dialogue from the movie just oh it just hit home and then they tied it together by having matt re-record the what have i done and it was just i just i can't say enough about it i just i loved it cut print move to broadway i just i loved it i i can't say enough about it yeah i i love that scene too i definitely caught it just like you asked earlier i i knew that that was also matt lanter but i also did a little bit of digging and it seems as though they did both they actually mingled both they took hayden christensen's what have i done and mix it with matt lanter's what have i done and they compiled it together and so as it being both of those actors voices together you can hear matt lanter but it's also the line that is said in revenge of the sith by hayden and so i felt that that made it even more special oh see i didn't realize that that's awesome i think that's really cool now they didn't do that for the rest of it right it was just that line just that line. All right, yeah, because I was going to say, like, it it sounds legit right from the movie. Like, not, mm-hmm. not even an alternate take. Like, it's the movie. And I, I've heard other people talking about this, and I know we're not going to do a deep dive into this, but I just wanted to mention that Ahsoka and Maul sensing this, and as you mentioned, like, Yoda, people who were feeling something horrible happening at that moment and maybe not having, like, a 100% idea of what it was, just something bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that is not often talked about, but it's a lot deeper when we're talking about what's called a, a virgence in the force or a fractal in the force. It's like when we mentioned uh, when there was the fight scene between Maul and Ahsoka in the throne room on Mandalore and people were initially thinking, oh, because we hear the city is scream, mm-hmm. it might be happening at the same time. Well, now we know that that's not true, but what is happening here is that it's much deeper than that. It's not that, oh, this is happening 
happening at the same time. And oh, we're wrong about that. It's that it is happening. But as we kind of learn in Rebels with the world between worlds and how things function with the force and the cosmic force and all of that put together, a fractal in any kind of situation in life, it's almost like, you know, the multiple dimensions idea. It's something that is happening continuously in the past and the present and the future. So in cases where we hear it or we see something that's happening on screen, it may not be happening at that moment in time because we can get into the physics of relativity and time being relative. But in this case, I love that some people are making the connection of this is something that the force is showing multiple users, multiple characters, multiple people in this universe. And that it's while it may not be happening at the same exact moment, the spirit of that is happening. When Maul starts to fight Ahsoka, there's a parallel. It may not be happening at the exact time as Palpatine is fighting the other Jedi in his chambers, but it's a parallel in that there's the same kind of actions happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when we see Rex go in and get that transmission and it's Darth Sidious, here is the Ian McDermott himself speaking. Mm-hmm. It's actually the first time he's voiced his character in the Clone Wars. Now, we did hear him in the as the Emperor in Rebels, but he's never... The guy that does his voice in Clone Wars was a different person. It wasn't Ian. It was actually two different people. And actually, I think his name is Ian, but it's not... Oh, is it? It's not Ian McDermott. Hang on. I'm pretty sure. I want to say it's Ian Abercrombie, like the clothes. Okay. I'm, I'm like 99%. Yes. Yep. So yeah, it was an actor, Ian Abercrombie, and he died. So then when he died and there were still episodes to do, and since Clone Wars recorded stuff out of order, I forget what season it was. It was either season five or season four. Like literally, it's almost like every other episode is the other actor because they recorded them out of order. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, one episode, it's this Ian Abercrombie guy. And then the next, it was Tim Curry of Rocky Horror Picture Show fame to finish the episodes of The Emperor, which I always thought it was kind of weird that they didn't just get Ian McDermott because I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was busy, but like, especially with the technology and the voice recording, I mean, it's not like he would have had to flown to L.A. or Vancouver or wherever the hell they produced this show. Like, you know, he could have easily done it. And then it's really interesting because in Rebels, yes, Ian McDermott did the voice at the end. But in the beginning of Rebels, it was actually Sam Witwer who did the Emperor's voice. Hmm. And now on Disney Plus, I believe it's season two that the Emperor makes an appearance. It's it's around the time when Vader comes in. But they actually had Ian McDermott re-record the Rebels episodes so it matches the final episodes of Rebels. But like if you have the Blu-ray like I do, Sam Witwer's performance is on there in the early season. And then it's Ian McDermott. Mm. So yeah, Sam Witwer has been Starkiller, Darth Maul, and Emperor Palpatine. Well, he does a great job. Yes, he does. He is fantastic. That's why I thought this particular moment, even though he you know, only says a few words, it, it was special because it's the first time we've been reintroduced to Ian McDermott voicing him in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved it. I was like, yes, that's his voice. Like it just it's ingrained in my memory what his voice sounds like, especially after, you know, celebration and being on stage for Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So that's when he says um, to execute Order 66. And then Rex says, I think he says, yes, Lord Sidious. And then the, the doors behind him open. 
And that's after Ahsoka's had this feeling and she says, you know, I feel like something horrible has happened. And this point, this scene between Rex and Ahsoka, they just had this beautiful moment together. And you can see that he's trying his hardest not to kill her because, you know, he was shaking. Yeah, and I loved that. I think it speaks to his character because like the rest of the clones, they just turned, you know, like they just did it. Even Cody, if you look at Revenge of the Sith, like even he's firing at Obi-Wan, you know, like, but it just shows Rex's character and how he's not just one of the clones. You know what I mean? Like he's a real human in there because he knew something was wrong and he got to warn us. He's like fine fives. To get information because he knew that I think it just clicked for him when this happened that, oh, this is what the fives thing was all about. Yeah, when when he when he drops his helmet after he was shaking, like the way that was done, dude, I felt that it was like a horror movie. It was great. It was chilling. Yeah, it his reaction and him shaking the blasters. I feel like he's, he tried to fight it and try to shake his, maybe his aim or buy more time. And then, you know, the music was such a rich aspect to enhancing that scene. He said, find him, find him fives, find him. And before he, he fires and, you know, Ahsoka jumps out of the way, but it's just one of those things. And he's, he's tearing up. He's crying at that point. He's trying to fight it so much. Mm -hmm. I, I, and like it just enhances the Revenge of the Sith montage for me because, you know, with the with Order 66 happening, because seeing Rex get like eaten up about needing to kill Ahsoka because it's an order made me realize that, you know, countless clones who developed close relationships with their Jedi generals, their friends, I feel like they probably felt the same way or, you know, we didn't see that. But later on, we know about Wolf and we know about Gregor that are with Rex. Like after that inhibitor chip maybe eased off of the quote unquote kill mode or something and the deed had already been done. Like sometimes I like to imagine that once Cody's chip wore down a little, like his guilt over ordering Kenobi to be killed bothered him, maybe. Mm hmm. Yeah. I would like to think that as well. Yes. I saw like a, a fan art version of it where he's sitting there and his helmet's off at his hand, heads and his hands. And I can't imagine this would be just a complete switch to where they're the complete robots now because they're, you know, the entire part of the Clone Wars is humanizing these clones, right? And everybody has their own personalities and they all think for themselves. And then this horrible thing happens when this inhibitor chip switches on and that, that you can see that there at least is some some level of control, very minimal, but some in that Rex is still able to fight it for a short period of time. Yeah. And thank God he did. Or, yeah. Or, you know, Ahsoka would be gone. For me, this this episode, it just hit for me just personally. I don't know about you, but it, it hit a hundred times harder than Revenge of the Sith did, because back then we didn't know the clones. We've had 12 years to get to know them personally now. You know, I'm not saying this to, to knock or bash Revenge of the Sith in any way. I mean, you know, it's my second favorite Star Wars movie right now, but my right. of the prequel trilogy. But this angle that we see so much more emotional for me, you know, that tear in Rex's eye when he's trying to resist. So he doesn't gun her down immediately. And it just sets the tone for the rest of this episode. I felt like it was one of those moments where I teared up, too, at that point, because I can I can almost feel how he's feeling in that he doesn't want to do this, but he almost has no control. Yeah. And the score again, oh. uh, the score during the scene where they're all fighting in Ahsoka. Oh my God. She's deflecting the blaster bolts with her lightsaber. It's the same score actually from revenge of the Sith it sequence is. during order 66. It, it's edited a little bit, but it, it's there. Like it's, 
yeah, it, it, it's the score, which is some of my favorite Star Wars score. And it just, again, it just added to this episode for me, like that it was, and, and it further solidified where it is in the movie. You know what I mean? It's happening at the exact same time as everything you know that's happening is happening. It was beautifully animated. It just, the lightsaber sounds I did notice. <laughs> like, it just, yeah, it was just great. I want to, if I can, really quick here, I want to read a short excerpt from the Ahsoka novelization because when I read this and I saw it posted by somebody, I forgot who, I'm sorry if I didn't credit you, but it's in the novel. And it's, it, this is what it says. It says, this is from the clone's perspective. It says, what I remember about the rise of the empire is how quiet it was. During the waning hours of the Clone Wars, the 501st Legion was discreetly transferred back to Coruscant. It was a silent trip. We all knew what was about to happen, what we were about to do. Did we have any doubts, any private traitorous thoughts? Perhaps, but no one said a word. Not on the flight to Coruscant, not when Order 66 came down, and not when we marched into the Jedi Temple. Not a word. Like, I don't know. That excerpt is just extremely haunting because it's like... Yeah. You, You've seen all of this happen with the Clone Wars, with the clones. And at this moment, it's like they're just they're following orders like a good soldier, like a good soldier. And I've just I just I, I've been thinking about this for days. Just like how how would this affect you if you were in a war? I don't think I could do it. Right. Like you were with these people and you've lived almost your entire life with them and you know them. And now you're not only have your your own autonomy removed, but you have to now murder them. Yeah. Like chip or no chip. I, right. I just, I don't know. I, I couldn't do it. I would not be able to do it. The next fade to the next scene. I loved this fade. It was from Rex's clone helmet. He's walking towards the camera and then it fades into Maul's holding cell, which depicts a Mandalorian helmet on his casket thing. Like it's that T shape. Yes. That was amazing. That was fantastic. Yes. And I think it was a symbolic linkage between now, now Rex is a Jedi hunter, okay? Mm -hmm. The Mandalorians were the same way, hundreds of thousands or however many years ago it was. They didn't like the Jedi. They had, they had issues. They had beef with the Jedi. And so it's like there was that seamless transition from one scene fade into the next. And now Rex is completely, he thinks completely differently now. He's set on the goal of destroying anybody who's related to the Jedi or the Jedi Council or any, any kind of anything that's not, in his eyes at this point, not traitors to the Republic. Yeah. So this is actually interesting because Ahsoka is freeing Maul. She gets to his cell and she frees him before they shoot him. And she's doing it to save herself and Rex, not Maul. No, not at all Maul. No. I love the banter between them because he gets out and he's like, oh, you survived. And then he's like, well, I'm glad you came. And then he starts giving this whole little soliloquy like, now we can join together. And then she like stops him and she's <laughs> like, I don't think you understand. She's like, no, <laughs> this is not why I'm here. It was great. And oh, it was fantastic. Even when he's like walking out and she's walking out, he's like, you care to give me a fighting chance? And she's like, I'm not rooting for you. <laughs> like, I kind of wanted them to team up. Like, I always want a dark sider and a light sider to team up, you know? But right. in this case, I just love the twist where it's like, no, this isn't happening. But it's so Ahsoka, Ahsoka wouldn't do that. And she says, you know, go spread some chaos. It's what you're good at. I love that line. Which is true. Oh, it's totally true. Like, he thrives in the chaos. In the chaos that is coming. 
I am Dave Filoni, Executive Producer and Supervising Director of Star Wars The Clone Wars, and I'm here today to talk about the episode Shattered. Showing Order 66 on The Clone Wars was kind of an inevitability. I had thought of it for a long time, and how would we play it out? What was the point of view? We had seen it in the film largely from the point of view of all of the Jedi, throughout the galaxy. You have to understand as in a cinematic portrayal to keep things moving, you're showing this beat after beat after beat of these Jedi going down. And it probably in a lot of cases was quick and sudden as it was portrayed. But I thought there were probably also instances where it was a slightly longer event and some Jedi held out a bit longer or more or even survived. As we found in the years since the film Revenge of the Sith, many Jedi did survive the order. So in the end, I wanted to show the perspective of Ahsoka and Rex. And this is where I admit it does pay off if you've watched a lot of seasons of Clone Wars to understand how it is that Rex is aware of the possibility of this order. That obviously had a big impact on the story we were going to tell and I thought there was an opportunity to show that while the Jedi Council who unfortunately makes several wrong judgments towards the end of the war and because they're politically being compromised they're unwilling to go up against the Senate or the Chancellor they don't understand the full truth of what was going on in the moments that that Fives played out the story of what happens with Order 66 in that earlier arc. So it's not seen as a big conspiracy, though there probably are fears about it. And there's enough fears that Rex, for his friends, wants to go on record saying, there might be more to this, I don't know. It's almost like leaving breadcrumbs in case something happens badly that someone could pick up the trail of this and do something about it. And the somebody in this case turns out to be Ahsoka. So as you mentioned before, and we talked about how she's supposed to go, you know, learn something about fives, find fives, find him, right? So his clone number is CT5555, hence the name. And as we discover towards the end of this episode, he is the unsung hero, or I guess in this point, he is the hero who saves Rex and Ahsoka. Yeah, he is. Because without them knowing what happened, without his inhibitor chip malfunctioning, without there being a record of that and of Rex's grievance report that he put into the files, they would have no idea of what the hell is happening. Yeah. Do you remember when we did our first Clone Wars episode mm -hmm. and we, we were talking about like our favorite moments throughout the years and whatever? And I mentioned that episode, you know, like it was one of my favorites, how it tied into Order 66. And remember I said how I thought it would like come back into play at some point? Yes. Yeah, I I was happy that I was right. <laughs> you were. Well, like as soon as he said, you know, fine fives, I'm like, yes. Mm. I'm like, Dave Filoni is a freaking genius. Because wasn't that like season four? It was very early on. Oh, was it that early? I didn't I didn't know. How early well, I mean, you might be right. It might be somewhere in mid and it wasn't late, late, but it was kind of like in the middle of the series. Right. OK, yeah. I, I mean, I know it definitely wasn't season five. Right. Like It, it wasn't toward the end. And yeah. So all right, yeah, no, I, I thought it was kind of earlier. So I like that in the in this part of the episode, we get a, a lighthearted moment. And I really like that when Ahsoka runs into this room, she's kind of sneaking around. She runs into this room and all the little cute droids are there and they all turn on. And it was so cute to me because they're all like they're freaking out. They're beeping. And it's like they almost know something weird happened. And she's like, I know, I know, like, sh be quiet. Like, you're going to they're going to like find us. You're going to alert them to our presence kind of thing. 
and she's like okay like I, I don't know i'm trying to figure this out too and they were all they all seem to have all these little like quirks about them that they all have their own little personality chips like r2 and and all the other ones they're a little different but i just i love this that it was thrown in the middle of this extremely tense episode and so i like that they threw in these droids that would make us kind of feel a little it, it made this episode maybe a little less heavy and i like that they did it because george loves droids mhm he said one of his favorite episodes in the Clone Wars was the one where the droids are like wandering around on this desert planet with that little alien guy who was their general. And like, it's just so quirky and so funny to me that that that's something he honed in on. Like he loves, you know, all the different droids and all the different kinds and what they're named and all that. Yeah, well, because they're droids. Everybody loves droids. Like how many people have gone to Galaxy's Edge? saying oh i'm not gonna build a droid and then you're there and you see them and it's like nope i'm gonna build a droid i'm <laughs> sure it's happened it's gonna happen to me because i keep telling myself that i'm not gonna build one and i'm gonna save that for when i go with my family no as soon as we're there we're gonna build our lightsabers and i'm gonna build a droid i know it agreed mm -hmm. so the names of these droids there's r7a7 which has actually appeared in several other clone wars episodes the other one is an r4 unit He's been in it since the beginning, apparently. Yeah, in the very first few episodes. That's what someone said on Instagram. I saw that and I didn't realize that, but I think that's awesome. And the other one is an R4 unit, the kind of cone-shaped one. Mm-hmm. And then there's CH33P, a.k.a. Cheap. Cheap. That's his name. It's Cheap, voiced by Dave Filoni. Really? Yes, and it's very similar to Chopper from Rebels. Well, okay, so that's what, all right, yeah, because it's funny, at first, when I was first watching the episode, I'm like, wait, that's Chopper, and then I'm like, no, that's not Chopper, <laughs> but it was like, the bar, 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 bar. like, you know, like, however, <laughs> that's not how Chopper talks. <laughs> I loved it, I loved when he made the noises, because he was like, he actually, I wrote it down, I literally wrote it down in my notes, it's, cheap, cheap, choom, choom, choom. <laughs> really, is that what he says? He says cheap, cheap, choom, choom, cheap, choom, choom. But it's very low in register because it's just like Chopper's voice. That's amazing. And I love that Dave Filoni played this for the voice acting part. And I love that he did it, I would have to say, because he does the same for Chopper. And cheap and Chopper, there's a little theory going around the, the interwebs that later on, cheap becomes chopper because they reuse some of his parts and that's why you know like the little hands that come out you know and things like that yeah, yeah yeah and even like the panels on the front it doesn't look exactly like chopper but it's very similar and i love that he threw that in there for people who are like wait that sounds like chopper but it's not but it is you know <laughs> well that that was me totally right it was just it was a nice light-hearted moment and so she's getting these droids together and they're like so willing and so eager to help her you know i i love that 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 they're just they're there for whatever she needs them to do and she actually has r4 no sorry r7 plug into like the terminal we had a lot of a lot of shots where you know the the terminal port was used by the droids in this episode mm -hmm. when i see that in any of the movies it just takes me right back to a new hope yep and R2-D2, when he first did it, and, you know, 3PO on the comm link, like, it just, I don't know, it instantly, every single time it happens, whether it's animation, or whether it's the sequel trilogy, or wherever, I don't know, I just, I love it. I, I love when it, it, it's just one of those, it's not really an Easter egg, but it just, to me, it's an Easter egg. So she has R7 plug in, and she wants R7 to find 
those data files and she's trying to look for five. She says, look up CT5555. And we see different ones flash across the screen. And then we see the hologram of the Kaminoan. Her name is Nala Say. And she appears in that hologram. Clone trooper CT5555 experienced a malfunction with his inhibitor chip. Where Ahsoka learns about that inhibitor chip that malfunctioned in actually a different clone named Tip. And then Fives was involved. And then that Kaminoan's been featured in other Clone Wars episodes. But like, I feel like everyone wants to be like, Palpatine is so evil. He's so bad, bad, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes. But after seeing this episode, it reminded me of the episode Clone Conspiracy. That's the one you were talking about Mm -hmm. with the malfunctioning inhibitor chip. You know, I I could go for some strangling of those damn Kaminoans right now. I was going to say, like, yes, Palpatine is the grand puppet master, but like they played their part. They were not innocent in this. No, and they got those really long necks. It's really easy to strangle. (laughs) Never thought of that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just I don't know. I feel like, yeah, they were just doing what they were told to do. But on the other hand, it's like you put those chips in their heads like you maybe didn't know what this was about, but you are part of this. And was that Palpatine's plan or did they come up with that plan and was like, hey, Palpatine, do you want us to do this? And he was like, "Ooh, yes, that sounds wonderful. You know, like, well, no, because remember, they thought Sifo-Dyas was the one who did this. They were talking about Sifo-Dyas and, you know, Attack of the Clones. And then that was linked to Count Dooku. And of course, Count Dooku is linked to Sidious. So, yeah, he is the Grand Puppet Master, but it was orchestrated in a different way. And then he used it for his advantage. But anyway, she was wanting to access the file about the grievance report that Nala Say said that there was one that was filed. But even though the Jedi Order or the Jedi Council and everybody accepted this inhibitor chip to be a malfunction, she can't access this file. And so she tells the droid to put in Anakin's passcode. Yes. Yes, they do. And I love it. Do you want to do you want to tell our listeners what that passcode is? 8108, which is when the Clone Wars premiered ish. That's part of it. That's part of it. Okay. What's the other part of it? We'll see 81. Actually, it can refer to both 810, August 10th, August 10th, 2008, which is when the Clone Wars movie was released. But 81 is also a nod to 1981 when Hayden Christensen was born. Oh, <gasps> no. Yep. Both of those put together. Oh, I love it even more now. I love how they use that in there because it's like, I love how they put those small things in where it's like, I want to dig in more and find out why these numbers. And then the numbers are absolutely perfect. Speaking of my one complaint with this episode, where is Anakin's hair? (laughs) It's not in the helmet yet. Why couldn't we have gotten the hair? Because it's all about Rex and Ahsoka. No, I know. But you wanted to, um, did you want to mention something about Palpatine? I did. And this is per usual on a tangent. Okay. Palpatine is the Grand Puppet Master, right? Of all these clones. Emphasis on clones. Now, Kamino didn't just disappear, did they? Like, did the Empire wipe them out? What happens to Kamino? Do we know what happens to Kamino? I don't know. Like, is there anything in canon that happens to Kamino? I mean, I haven't looked that up, but I don't know. I think it's worth looking up because where I'm going with this is dead or not. When Palpatine magically comes back from the dead, why would he not enlist the citizens of Kamino to make his Snoke clones or a clone of himself so he can transfer his essence into it? Why did he trust these Sith eternal people that obviously didn't really do a good job with it? I don't know. 
Why would they not just go back to Camino? Talk about going back to Jakku. Let's go back to Camino. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know. It's probably something that we're just not privy to because we're just citizens. Mace Windu. <laughs> I told you that word is now derogatory. I will never use that word ever again. We are not on the council. My own council will I keep. The council of the Jawas. We are on that council. <laughs> Ahsoka's world is literally shattering in this episode. Everything she knows and believes in is turned upside down. I think she doesn't know what to believe at this point, and Order 66 is literally happening. Having Rex get that order and to make that switch felt like a thunderbolt. To switch that character into this kind of mode against those that he loved and that we had established and worked with for so many seasons, that's kind of a horrifying moment. The way I played it was that there was still some internal resistance to the order for Rex, but this was an inevitable thing that was programmed in to all clones, and so it's ultimately something that you can't resist by force of will. But I tried to show that there was some part of Rex that was still lingering there, fighting back. Ahsoka escaped. That was always a really big moment that Dave really wanted us to tell because how do you get her out of this situation? And it took a lot to make sure that you bought the fact that she was there and then she was gone. So it was really a combination, I think, of all across the board from story to animation to lighting to effects to really pull it off. When Ahsoka saves Rex, now they have to figure out how to survive and the odds are not in their favor, but at least she knows she's not alone bringing us back then at the same time we see ahsoka working with the droids to try and figure out what happened with fives and how that relates to rex we have maul have his rampage down the hallway oh it was so cool it was like it's funny so it's kind of like the one in rogue one but without a lightsaber mm-hmm like, I mean, he's kind of doing, but, and I guess this is like also kind of strange, but it's definitely more violent than Vader. And I think it's kind of almost one-upping him a bit. A little bit. I mean, how he uses like the piece of metal to like cut their heads off and like, <laughs> it was freaking great. Yeah. He like uses the doors and the walls. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, I had visions of my favorite scene in Rogue One. But yeah, it was like, like you said, it was like the upped version of it. Yeah, I definitely had the flashbacks to Vader in Rogue One, particularly when he's pinning the soldier against the ceiling. Yeah, yep. I mean, come on. Every great Darksider has done that mm -hmm. now because now Maul did it. We know our boy Anakin's done it a bunch of times and we know our boy Kylo's done it in Rise of Skywalker. So yeah. Pin your enemies to the ceiling. It's kind of what you do. It makes me really want to learn how to do that. <laughs> that whole scene was brutal, although technically in self-defense from Maul's point of view. It was. Yeah, that's the... Because <laughs> they're trying to kill him, you know? I know. Have you seen the meme? I'm sure you have, because it's all over the place. It says, like, Ahsoka to Rex, no, we can't kill them, yada, yada, yada. And then it's Yoda with the lightsaber in the middle of the clone. I think so keepers of the peace okay sure mm -hmm. so i love the scene now where we have the opposite of what's happening with maul because in that maul scene he kind of does a um he pulls the the whole scene we see in the mandalorian where the guy gets cut in half in the mandalorian but here he cuts the clone trooper's arm off 
mm-hmm. in that door. And I, I love how he's kind of just looking at the arm because it has that communicator on it. And he's like listening to their strategies. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the last part of this episode that we see Maul in. But the next part that it moves to is when Ahsoka has the droids kind of go out and then trip Rex when Rex is running to try and find Ahsoka because she's escaped after they fired on her earlier. And so they're trying to like get rid of all the escape pods, lock down all the corridors, go and try and find her and kill her. And I love how like one of the, I think it was R7, the droid that kind of rolls out and does like a little whistling sound and then like on purpose to trip Rex. And he's like, are you crosswired? Like get out of the way. And they specifically close all mm-hmm. the blast doors around him. And I love how like it projects a, like a hologram kind of of Ahsoka and she's talking to Rex that this isn't your fault. I found out what happened to Fives. You're not in control of this. And then he kind of is listening, but you can't see because he has his helmet on. And then he threatens the droid like, you know, where is she? And then she's right behind him. I love the way they did that. She's like, I'm right here. And then the droid zaps Rex. <laughs> I just I feel like in that moment. I felt a little bit lighthearted because when he falls to the ground, Ahsoka runs over to him and she's like, remember, we're trying not to hurt him because the droid's thinking, what? I I love that. The droid just is like, didn't even consider, oh yeah, no, we just wanted to knock him out. We didn't want to really hurt him. And so in, in that case, she has the droids carry him to this medical bay, to this space OR for surgery and then she gets him on the table on there and she starts typing in these buttons and she's like okay well let's find out if there's the chip in his head and i uh that whole scene there was just really really heavy it was it really was but again like we've said before in the best way possible Mm -hmm. yes it's heavy and emotional but it was it, like in a good way. I I feel like I'm masochist saying this or something, but like it, oh, it's just I mean I love it. When she wants the the droid to scan Rex's head when he's on that table, that medical droid is actually an FX7 unit, and we first saw that in The Empire Strikes Back, and that droid is tending to Luke when he's in the back to tank. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, where he's recovering from his encounter with the Wampa. Yes, that droid is sitting right there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the same medical droid. So in this medical bay, right, he's going to go under to get surgery. But like they can't find this chip in his head. And Ahsoka's like stunned, like it has to be there because all of them have it. You know, she just learns information like, where is it? Wasn't that in that other episode? Wasn't what? That it was like hidden kind of that like it's supposed to be so no one can find it. Well, yeah, it was kind of supposed to be yeah, not as obvious. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. I, I was going to say, I kind of I remember that. But so I, I feel like in this moment, we had another amazing Rogue One reference. Ahsoka says, I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me, just like Chiru Imwe in Rogue One. So I thought was really fascinating in this scene was when she's saying that phrase, I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me, and she keeps repeating it. I always thought, when I was watching this, like, where did she learn this? Like, she must have learned this somehow uh, training as a Jedi. And then, like, we see it in Rogue One, where it's almost like this is how the Jedi used to be. This is how, you know, Ahsoka is acting like how the Jedi should be, but they're not acting that way in this moment in time. They've gone beyond that, and they've overstepped their boundaries. So, like, she's kind of like the, the model Jedi. We mentioned earlier that she's way better Jedi than Mace Windu ever was because he's gone way beyond that. He's not even a Jedi anymore. He's acting like a superior soldier and just kind of wants to do his thing. 
but I also I also thought that like I enjoyed that they had her saying it, and then she's touching Rex's head, and they have their eyes closed, and he starts to say it at the same time she does. So obviously he doesn't know what he's saying. Like this isn't he doesn't know this phrase at all. And I love that they made that kind of a force connection that somehow allows the medical scanner to recognize and locate the chip in Rex's head. You know, when the chip is detected, the screen has some Oribish written on it and it spells out anomaly. And I think personally that Ahsoka used the force to connect with Rex who briefly resisted the chip earlier making it not show up as a part of his brain on the scanner. And so that's instead it was showing up as an anomaly and that showed up because of that moment, because it was, it wasn't a part of him. It wasn't actually part of who he is because, and I'm getting on a really deep tangent here kind of, but it's like the, the force is, is all encompassing through life in this universe. And in this moment, it's all about life overcoming machinery. You know, after all, the question of the show and this entire episode is how alive are the clones? Are they machines? Are they man? Like, what are they? And so what if she's using force heal here to kind of draw on the force to help her friend, like, kind of come back to who he is and then find that anomaly and then get it out? Like, I just, when I saw that, I was thinking about Obi-Wan. I was thinking about Ray. I was thinking about all these different connections of drawing on the cosmic force to be able to help someone in need. And that's what Ahsoka does because she's, that's just her character. Right. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I like it. Like those, those connections is what, of course, the thing that hits us first is the phrase because we know it from Rogue One. Right. Cause we know Rogue One. Yeah. But it's just so much deeper than that. And I feel like you could spend an entire episode just talking about this moment and what the ramifications are in other areas of Star Wars and in other episodes and in other films and what's upcoming potentially it's just it's a very deep and emotional moment i think that i don't think i didn't see coming at all yeah no i didn't either and i like the way you described that i also like how and i mean this is kudos to dave filoni one of the criticisms about these newer movies is that you know these new ships and stuff oh well where were they during the original trilogy if you know it takes like like rogue one where is this stuff in the original tri- like the tie fighters and the on the death troopers where are these things during the original trilogy and like one of the things that rebels did rebels brought in the death troopers and stuff you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it tried to and like ezra found that lightsaber that looked like kylo ren's it tries to add in these newer things to kind of just connect it all and i just i i love when they do that yeah i absolutely agree i think that those connections are what make star wars so much bigger than what it looks like on the surface Absolutely. I wanted to mention that Screen Thrill actually rates this episode on their scale from one to five as a five out of five, like you had a 10 out of 10. And their quote was, I thought it was just really well thought out, is Order 66 was a terrible event that brought death and chaos to the galaxy. Fans will again experience the tragedy in an episode that holds no punches and that pushes the limit of what can be shown on family-friendly Disney+. Plus. You know, 
it really did. It pushed the limit because with the arm getting cut off, the, with brutality and the violence and, you know, some a friend pointing guns at another friend, it's all these different things. It's like they're right on the line. And I mean, they could have gone further, but when it comes to like how we're going to keep it Star Wars and not make it an R-rated movie kind of thing and how it can go on Disney Plus, I think that's that's kind of what they went for and they succeeded. Well, and that's the other thing I have always loved about Star Wars. Like, yes, this stuff is violent, but like you don't see blood, you know, like it's not gory. It's not gratuitous. It's just like it kind of is what it is. Like I was the kid who played Mortal Kombat and I turned off the blood mode. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want all the blood everywhere. Family friendly Mortal Kombat. My friends always joked when I was a kid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But like, it's one of the things that I love, like there's that thing going around Instagram about I thought the Clone Wars was for kids and it and it's like this video clip and it shows like all the deaths throughout the Clone Wars Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like lightsabers going into people and clones shooting people and whatever. And it's like because it's Star Wars, it's not done in a gratuitous way, like Empire Strikes Back when Luke's hand gets cut off. That's terrifying, you know, like think about like five year old, eight year old kids seeing their hero getting their hand chopped off. But it didn't scar them because it's not like, you know, blood didn't go everywhere. And like the hands not like half hanging off of his arm and like flapping there in the wind. Like, you know, it was just it it gets its point across non gratuitously. Agreed. Definitely. I understand. I completely understand where you're coming from. And since you kind of mentioned it, I I saw a tweet by somebody and I don't know who she is, but apparently a lot of people who I follow, follow her. And I wanted to read it really quickly because it ties right into what you said about, you know, the Clone Wars being like a kid's show. And while I agree with some of the things she said, some of the things I'm kind of like iffy on, but I just, I wanted to see like your reaction to it. So I'm going to read it real quick. Yeah. This is someone named Ray Mueller on Twitter. She said, saw someone argue that Clone Wars, especially this last season, wasn't a cartoon created for kids. Putting aside the point that a good story can connect with all ages and be something one revisits throughout their lives, here's why the argument above doesn't work for me. Dark topics, story arcs, happenings in shows or movies that are deemed, quote, for children, are necessary. Kids see ugliness and scary things all around them. The world is full of it. Stories are just one way kids are given a coping mechanism to handle that ugliness in real life. It's why the brave knight fights the terrifying dragon and wins, or we see the dragon protecting its egg from a knight with evil intentions and surviving. It's why we see Order 66 happen and a 17-year-old ex-Padawan have to figure out how to survive while saving her friend. It's why we see that not everyone survives the Clone Wars. Kids grow up with these shows, become older, wiser, more learned with these shows. Yes, some parts can be scary, but so is the life they're living, and that show can possibly show how to handle those scary situations. She says, I guess what I'm trying to say is that just because it's an animated, quote, kids show doesn't mean it should shy away from the tougher, more ugly things out there. Kids are more resilient than we think and should be given a safe place or a story to wrestle with when it comes to those scary things. I I don't know. I just couldn't have said it better. And I didn't want to read it like it was my idea. But I feel like it's applicable to us as adults, but also to kids where, yes, it's made for an animated series, but doesn't matter what age you are, you can still understand it. And even as a kid, 
there are certain things I feel like you wouldn't be able to explain so much like to Jackson, but there are some things I think that they would be able to understand that maybe you wouldn't think they would. 100%. She nailed it. Thank you for that tweet. She hit the nail on the head, and that's what I think good storytelling does, and I think that's one of the things about Star Wars and why it's multi-generational. And, like, you know, because it was there for all of us when we were kids and we take it into our adult lives. And yes, it's always evolving and it's always changing, but that's the way of the world. And like, I've mentioned this on other podcasts, like my life, because I'm such a star Wars nerd, like there are tent poles that have happened in my life that correlate with star Wars. Like episode three coming out was the end of my college career. It was going into my senior year of college. Last Jedi came out 24 hours after my dad died. Like, there are these real-life correlations that go along with these movies, and for me, it just adds to the experience. And as far as the kid angle, yeah, look at right now. Mm. Look at the way the world is right now with this pandemic. And, like, they're not able to go to school, and they're doing this. And like, yeah, and they know what's going on. Like Jackson knows that he's not in school right now because of a virus mm -hmm. and he can't get sick and that mommy works at a nursing home and has to be very careful. Like he, he knows this stuff and he's four years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pe people count kids out all the time and they're very aware. Like you hear these stories of children who come from like broken homes where their parents were like fighting all the time and whatever. Like, you know, like th the parents don't think that they're upstairs listening. They're listening. They know exactly what's going on. They know that daddy slept with the babysitter, you know, like they might not understand it completely, but they, they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they're very perceptive and they pick up on things. And then, you know, you find stuff in these stories because they're an escape. But then they can also, like you said, it's a coping mechanism. It, it helps you deal with it. Right. Sometimes they just don't have a way to know how to deal with it. And the themes in all of these stories uh, that we have in Star Wars, it's it's something that they can latch on to and say, OK, well, what did this character do? What did Ahsoka do in this situation? What would what would Anakin do? And it's kind of one of those things like it helps them to make sense of what's going on in their in their real lives. So exactly what you said. I also feel like, I don't know, coming back to to Clone Wars, I, I imagine that this whole event, Order 66, you know, we always talk about like we're waiting to get there to see it again, but then we don't want to see it and it and we know that it's going to be heartbreaking at the same time. And now we have it in front of us. And it's kind of like, I know I wanted this, but now I'd like to put it back, you know? Yeah. It's just one of those moments where I feel like the clones had to have gone into some kind of PTSD. I mean, Wolf in Rebels, he seems pretty jittery over it. Gregor has completely gone senile. But Rex, mm -hmm. I think, is in the best shape mentally because he got that chip removed early and he doesn't have to live with the fact that he murdered someone that was close to him. Right. Every time Ahsoka, you know, reaches out into the forest to try to feel Anakin's presence at this point after Order 66, she feels nothing. He's gone. His presence is absolutely gone. And that's heartbreaking. Because he's not Anakin anymore. Mm. As far as Ahsoka knows, he's dead. Right. And from a certain point of view, Anakin is dead. And so we round out this episode where, where you know, Ahsoka saves Rex, but then Rex saves Ahsoka when the clones who are wanting to kill her break through the door and he starts shooting at them. And, you know, I can imagine that's also traumatic for him because he's shooting at his own brothers. But, you know, she asks him, Rex, 
Are you okay? Yeah, kid. I'm okay. The word kid brings me back to the original Clone Wars episode where, you know, they had this banter going on of like, oh, well, if I'm a Jedi, then I technically outrank you. And he says, well, you know, experience outranks everything in my book. And mm-hmm. at this point in the relationship, they're both equals and they both know it. Yeah. They're at the point where this isn't a let's fight each other. I mean, they had a little bit of like a, a playful you know, I'll race you to the ground in the previous episodes, you know, and when she gets there, she says, I beat you. But that was like a, it was a more like a friendly kind of competition. But at this point oh, yeah. in their relationship, they are equals and they see each other as equals. And I, I love that part where, you know, that Rex is back because this is how we've known Rex. And I kind of envy him because man, he had some, he had some real quick, real quick brain surgery there. That, that was fast. Uh, Yeah. I, I, you know, I meant to ask you that. Is that really how it works? Oh, I wish it was. How how long were you out? I for? mean, quite honestly, it wasn't as long as it may have been if we were, you know, 20, 30 years ago and I had brain surgery. But um, well, yeah, it hit a little close to home where it's like, you know, they have some really good medicine in space. Apparently, uh, he wakes right. up seconds later. He's good to go. Speaking of, that is the one aspect of Star Wars that I wish was real. The slash coming back from the dead slash force ghost thing. Because it's been two and a half years and I'm still waiting for my dad to come as a force ghost and be like, clean your room. (laughs) That's what you think he'd say, huh? That is exactly what he would say. (laughs) Either that or you're still late for work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. So when Rex reawakens, right, he, he had his short medical procedure and he says, you know, she, she asks, is this, do you know what's going on? And he says, it's all of us. The entire Grand Army of the Republic has been ordered to hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. This is a direct parallel to Obi-Wan telling Luke this in A New Hope. He says the same words. Mm-hmm. And I love that parallel there. And this arc, although I'm sad to see it end, you know, what a way to go out. I know we still have one more episode to talk about, but like it's really well done. I mean, Filoni is the master now. He is. He really is. I mean, he took his time and tutelage with George Lucas and just there's no better way to put it. He's the master. He's just amazing. He's, He's just we love him. Yeah, he, he was but a learner. And now he is the master. <laughs> and one more thing. I, I do have to say that uh, Anakin killing Dooku, Obi-Wan killing Grievous and Ahsoka capturing Maul. That trifecta is just perfect. Like these three are really carrying the war effort pretty hard. Like now, if only Mace could have finished the job and killed Palpatine, you know. (laughs) Um, Can we not go there, please? I'm just saying, what a different outcome we would have had. You know, Anakin would have probably become a master and remain on the light side. He would have had his kids with Padme. They would have had lived happily ever after. And but we know that doesn't happen. Yeah. So what is the moral of this episode and this entire series? It's all Mace Windu's fault. <laughs> it's all Mace Windu's fault. Yeah. Because of one word, citizen. That was not cool. No, not even close. But yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this information I've gleaned from um, individuals like, I just want to give a quick shout out to to Ryan Airy from Screen Crush for a lot of this info. He's, he's really good at kind of compiling all this. And then of course, um, Matt and Molly from Star Wars Explained, their their knowledge, mm. their knowledge on this is they're, unsurpassed. They're all, I, absolutely. they blow me yeah, away. Every time they make a video or anytime they make a tweet, I'm just like, I couldn't even made that connection by myself. Thank you for 
broadening my horizons on Star Wars. Yeah, and other than the random profiles on Instagram that I scroll through, I always read the recaps from Star Wars Newsnet, and they kind of always help me remember stuff mm. and get some of the connections. I get most of them from you, but well, like I said, you're you're the smart one. Well, it's a learning process for both of us. We, I don't know this stuff before I look it up, so. No, I know, but like you make the effort to look it up. I don't. <laughs> we can work on that. We can work on that. I guess I just I, I don't know. Like, it, like, it's cool, but like I like hearing the information from like you or if I'm talking to Sean, Brendan or Ashley, you know, like, like or coming up with theories ourselves. Like, mm. I, 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 I don't know. I don't I don't I guess I just don't go looking for the information, maybe. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm... Well, sometimes I have questions that I really and that actually reminds me. I wanted to see what you thought about this one last thing because I read it and I thought this is the issue that I was having earlier when Ahsoka is on Mandalore before she fights Maul and she's walking away and she talks to Obi-Wan and she says, tell Anakin. And then Obi-Wan says, I will. And I was always mm -hmm. like, what is she wanting to say to him? What is she like? And she does the similar kind of thing with Yoda here where Yoda says, is there more you want to, say or something to that effect and she thinks about it for a second and she says no and even though she could have told him about anakin and about what maul told her like she's taking these moments to not say what she could have and i feel like that's also a big part of the theme of this arc is applying it to real life you know say the things that you want to say in that moment because you may not have a chance later on well, sure. Ahsoka never got the chance to say what she wanted to to Anakin because she waited for the right time. And as a result of all these events that happened that she couldn't have foreseen, the right time never came. And then when she does say something to him, he's already too far gone. Yeah, it's just another layer of the tragedy. It's tragic. Star Wars is tragedy. We love it, but it's it's sad many times. The name war is in the freaking name. Like, of course, it's going to be tragic. Another layer. It's not just a war physically. It's a war internally. Yeah, absolutely. Emotionally. Mm. Yeah, it is. I heard somebody say this, and this is what I was getting to. I got off on a little tangent with Ahsoka's inability to say something because she wanted the right moment with Anakin, but it never came. Somebody said that she's not saying, tell Anakin dot 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 and then not finishing and then pausing she's saying tell anakin with a period at the end and then obi-wan says i will and i think this person's thinking in their perspective from their point of view what she's telling obi-wan is to tell anakin what you you obi-wan want to tell him well that's what i kind of mentioned in our last episode because i didn't I didn't look into it that much and think there was some greater meaning to that line, like that it was the next I love you, I know, or like whatever. Like, I, I just took it, yeah, that, that's exactly how I took it. Like, just tell Anakin, yeah, period. Yes, I, I like that. Good job, whoever that was. Tell Anakin that you appreciate and love him. And I feel like he did, but, and we did hear him say that. It was just after their fight and he's burning. You were my brother, Anakin. Right, that tragic uh -huh. moment. It's just, yeah, it's a whole nother layer of just, you know, we, we love this, but we also, <laughs> it also keeps us, keeps us emotionally engaged and it, and it makes us cry. It makes us emotional about it because it's, 
more than just the movie. Which is why it lasts. Like, do you think if it didn't do all this, there would be something like Star Wars Celebration? No, absolutely not. There would be a themed land at a theme park. You know, like all these freaking cosplayers and like if we didn't have this emotional reaction to it, would would all of this exist? No, it wouldn't. Like that's that's the magic of it. That's what connects everybody on at least one level before they've even met each other. Yeah, we're living proof of that. Right. So, yeah, we love it. Um, but that that wraps up this episode. It's been a long one, but we knew it was going to be a long one. We did. Just wait till the next one. Just wait until the next one. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you've listened this long, thank you again. Okay. Gold star. So we, uh, we're happy to be able to share our thoughts with you. And if you have any thoughts, um, go ahead and shoot us an email. I've actually changed it. I don't know if I told you. You did. I changed it to jabberingjawas at gmail.com. It's a lot easier for people to find. If you want to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, just look up Jawa Jabber or Jabbering Jawas. Either way, you'll find us. And if you want to uh, let us know what you think, if you're particularly strong with the Force, leave us a, a review on iTunes. You can find us on there as well. Uh, a rating and review would help us so much in understanding what we could do to make the show better and uh, and also helps us uh, kind of get noticed maybe in the in the iTunes market since we're kind of just an upcoming podcast right now. We'll get better, but we're, we're relatively new. But for now, thank you for listening. My name is Dennis. And I'm David. And may the Force be with you. Always. Yep, yep. episode might come out in june dude <laughs> the way things are going with editing dude i totally uh... Jabber, a Star Wars podcast, is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names, sounds, and all Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and the respective trademark and copyright holders, unless otherwise indicated. Jawa Jabber, broadcasting exclusively on Utini Radio.